Our scripture this morning is from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 through 14. It's page 639 in the Black Chair Bible um, and page 731 in the Gray Chair Bible. I'm assuming you know exactly what that means, if you would like to follow along. Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. Hear the word of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, we have come to this place for for all different reasons, with all different motivations, from all different storylines this morning, but we know that you have a message for each one of us, and we gather around the word because it speaks to us in every time, in every place, and we would humbly ask this morning that you would amplify that word, that you would let everything else fall away, every word that is not your message fall away, that we might open like flowers and let the unfiltered light of your holy scripture shine on us. Amen. Our gospel text for this morning is just one verse. It's from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Is that good news? And so choosing a single verse, I know, might seem a little bit strange to some of you. Usually we bite off a bigger piece. But here in the Beatitudes with chapter 5, verse 9, I think there's just as much to chew. When we enter into the Sermon on the Mount, we know we are going to have to reorient ourselves. The picture Jesus paints looks different than the earthly landscape we, we know, the earthly landscape around us. It makes me think a little bit of one of my older son's favorite movies right now, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. I can't imagine that many of you have seen it recently. I've seen it eight times in the last week. Um, So I'll fill you in. The motley crew 
from the original Ice Age, so the, the mammoth and the sloth and the saber tooth, inadvertently crash through the ice floor of their world and discover that there's a whole other world below them, a world where the dinosaurs have survived. It's kind of a startling discovery. And as if you know the movies, you know that Sid is the one who gets them into this pickle. Sid is the one who leads them down below into this world where the dinosaurs are, and they run afoul of an albino baryonyx, which is similar to a spinosaurus, supposedly bigger than a T-Rex. And his name is Rudy. And they spend most of the film trying to avoid him. And at the end of the movie, they travel back to their world and sever the connection between the two worlds, which happens to be the skeleton of a brontosaurus. And maybe my mind is just a little cooked from all the Ice Age, but the journey strikes me as a little bit like ours when we enter into the Sermon on the Mount. Only this other world, this world that Jesus tells us about, the world of the kingdom of God, isn't a layer beneath our world so much as a mirror image of it. Everything is swapped. Everything is opposite. The last, they'll be first, right? The weak, in knowing their weakness, they'll have strength from Christ, true strength. They'll be strong. We have to set aside what we think that we know of the world and how it works to even glimpse the kingdom. Like eager children, we might imagine ourselves on the mount that day too, sitting at the feet of our Lord, ready to see as he does. Today, part of that vision is, blessed are the peacemakers. This is the seventh beatitude of nine. Some people say eight, some people say nine. I'm saying nine this morning. This is the seventh beatitude of nine, and biblical scholar Dale Bruner divides the beatitudes into three different categories. The first four he calls the need beatitudes. So these are the beatitudes, uh, those who mourn, the meek, the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are beatitudes that remind us of our incredible, profound, undeniable need for God. They drive us to our knees. The next three he calls the help beatitudes, which engage us deeply with God's people. They call human beings to human suffering. Blessed are the peacemakers is the last of this category. And the final two beatitudes, Bruner uh, calls the concluding hurt beatitudes, and they focus on persecution. If you read the Beatitudes through, start to finish, you might feel a little bit of a shift. Once we move from the need to the help Beatitudes, we start talking about behavior too, not just perception. Because we perceive the upside down kingdom, we behave differently. Now that we see the truth, we must live it. As Christ's people in this world, we are called to do things because of what we see because of what we know about the true kingdom of God. After those first four beatitudes that drive us to our knees, aware of how greatly and deeply we need God, we are then set on our feet and given the strength to go out and help. We are justified only by faith, but what we do reflects our faith. Love proves the faith real. Today, with this seventh beatitude, we are set on our feet to see and be the peacemakers. Peacemakers. What do we mean by peace? Where and when do we hear it today? We talk about peace in the Middle East, peacekeeping missions of the UN, for example, about inner peace, 
I find myself saying that I am at peace about different things, maybe at peace about my latest cooking experiment or uh, my relationship with an estranged family member. In English, peace is a little limiting. For us, it tends to mean either the inward state of an individual or the absence of something else, something like violence, the absence of violence. We think of that as peace. The first entry in my dictionary describes it as freedom from disturbance. I think peace is about freedom, but not just freedom from. In the Hebrew Bible, the word that often gets translated as peace is shalom. In the long tradition of shalom, peace here is about right relationship. It's not about the absence of violence, but the presence of harmony, mercy, justice, about wholeness. We see this in the Jeremiah passage, a passage that I think we, we um, rightly come back to again and again in the church, where shalom has been translated as welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I have planted you, where I have sent you, the city where you consider yourself an exile. Build houses, plant gardens, pray on its behalf. In its welfare, you'll find your welfare. In its peace, your peace. Shalom is like a benevolent blackberry vine. You start promoting it in one place, and before you know it, it's taken hold elsewhere as well. Wholeness spreads. And blessed are the peacemakers. These aren't inwardly peaceful people or peacekeepers. These are the folks who bring about those right relationships, who engineer and sustain that wholeness. Bruner suggested substituting peacemaker with whole maker or circle maker. Peacemakers foster communal well-being in every direction and in every relation. They are reconcilers. Eugene Peterson in the message translates the same verse as, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of fight or compete. So not just someone who cooperates, but someone who shows others how to cooperate. A peacemaker. We might also think of those people who've devoted their lives to promoting peace, to bringing justice and jobs, to eliminating poverty, enmity, and disease. Heroes like Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela. But peacemaking is also closer to home, I think. I think of Kevin and Danielle Riley, whose faith helped them overcome addiction and a season of homelessness, and they are now both in ministry, one at Mount Baker in Concrete and the other, in, um, the other with Tierra Nueva, committed to helping those who are suffering in their respective communities. I think of the folks at Gather Tacoma. Gather Tacoma is essentially a house church started by a, a female pastor about my age who just wanted to build a strong and authentic community in her neighborhood, and who yesterday, with a bunch of other communities of faith, went down to the Northwest Detention Center to pray with refugees and immigrants. As one of the worship leaders there said, we are here today because we want our hearts to be more like Jesus. I think of those who will gather tonight at Lake Burien Presbyterian Church to watch a blacksmith turn a gun into a garden tool, uh, a metaphor that's intended to stir further conversation about new ways to forge peace together. I think of my father-in-law, David Finner, who travels uh, 
everywhere in Washington State, some places that I had never even heard of before. Um, he takes long, long drives, uh, talking to communities, to schools, um, to churches, about how to welcome and support Muslim immigrants. Peterson translates the second half of this verse, that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. The NRSV declares these peacemakers will be called children of God. It's an honor to be sure. Those who build and nourish circles of peace will be rewarded. That's clear. But in the second half of the verse, I think there's also a hint at how we are meant to go about building those circles of peace. After all, who is the child of God? Peacemaking, for us as Christians, is defined by the life and death of Jesus. The way Jesus does peace shapes the way that we do it. And Jesus tells us, through his life and through his death, that peacemaking is rough. It's not easy work. He argued often. He was misunderstood by most. Others did not want the peace that Jesus spread. And then Christ's death, the excruciating act that forever reconciled us, a broken people, with God, God's self. Christ was and is the great reconciler, the template for making otherworldly peace in a world that at best doesn't know how to receive it and at worst actively resists it. And it's our job as Christ's church to live that reconciliation. She who makes peace as I have, Jesus told those gathered on the mountain, she will be gathered near to God as part of God's true family. For Jesus hears that day, here's the upside down element. Here's the way that Jesus, what Jesus was teaching deviated from the earthly temporal kingdom that they lived in. Those who held the title peacemaker then were rulers. A Roman emperor would have been a great peacemaker after he quelled a resistance. Think of the Pax Romana, the period at the height of the Roman Empire. By defeating every other power in the Mediterranean and Western Europe, Rome created a season of stability for all who lived under or near Roman rule. Even now, as I mentioned earlier, when we think of peace at the grandest level, we're thinking of something global. I'm picturing the stereotypical beauty contestant answer when asked uh, about any of her ambitions. The answer always seems to be world peace, right? We think about something that it takes a lot of power and influence to achieve. We think about the U.S. and its historical involvement in others' conflicts, acting as the world's policeman in part because its military might surpasses all others. Creating a safe place for yourself, a place where you're not threatened or challenged, that's worldly peace, the peace of this world, freedom from interference of others. And whether you are seeking that kind of peace for yourself or for this nation, there is nothing wrong with it. But it's not the peace that Jesus is talking about in our scripture this morning. The peace of this world is different from the peace of Christ. To be a peacemaker the way Jesus is calling us to, sometimes you have to wade into the messiest parts of life. There's something else that I think is important to realize about the peace of Christ. 
even though it may have broad implications, the peace of Christ starts really small. It starts with individuals. It's about humble movements and incremental gains, about the work of the Spirit that happens quietly, without much fanfare. Jesus' blessing uh, counterculturally democratizes or downsizes his imperial title. He takes this imperial title of peacemaker and he gives it to the little people of the world. And these little people, in turn, are dignified by membership in the family of God. This should be a comfort. This is good news. You don't have to reconcile Israel to Palestine to be a peacemaker. Jesus' peace is the mustard seed, the yeast, the overlooked and humble work that is freedom for each other. Peacemaking starts small, and it starts with you. It might start in your mirror. It might start in your marriage. It might start on your morning commute. I think I-5 needs a lot of peacemaking. (laughs) I'll tell you about peacemaking that I'm a part of, um, because I think it it gives you, I mean, you might think after, after I say it, that's peacemaking. And I think that it is, but that's, it's, it's small work. So um, my son loves our neighbors, and he doesn't appreciate, he'll be three in October, but he doesn't appreciate how much younger he is, and they are so gracious to hang out with him. They, um, there's one who is six, but it's six, nine, 10, 10, and 13 um, are their ages. Um, so they really, um, he would not make the cutoff if they were exercising any standard for the little neighborhood gang. Um, But through him, I've been able to nurture relationships with these kids, and I uh, work about three-quarters time, so I'm home a fair amount in the afternoons, and my husband and I have made uh, the intentional choice to always let these kids be at our house. And we actually recently got an upright piano that was the piano that my husband's grandmother learned to play on probably 90 years ago. It's been in Oregon, and the cousin who had it, the family cousin, doesn't want it anymore, and I'm sure... I see that day coming for us too, but um, they shipped it up to our house, and so I have this idea now of, of having a music teacher come in and teach all these kids in succession, all these kids on our street, music lessons, uh, you know, piano lessons. Um, sometimes my children are napping, and there are four other kids in my living room, and through them, I've gotten to know their parents, and that's, that's the peacemaking that I feel like I am called to be a part of, creating a space where kids and adults are always welcome, always feel loved, So I wonder, what's that for you? I want you to think for a moment about the circle of right relationship, of shalom, that God's calling you to. Because it's testament to God's creativity that all of our peacemaking is going to look a little different. So I want you to think about what that looks like for a second and maybe turn to your neighbor. What circle making, what hole making are you a part of right now? Or do you feel called, do you feel stirring within you to be a part of? I'm going to give you a minute to do that.
And I think it is totally consistent with what I'm saying this morning, by the way, that peacemaking can start with um, uh, really self-conscious whispers, too. And it's also true that making peace is hard. So even if, if you feel like God has given you a vision for the way that you are called to make peace in your community, it is going to be difficult. There'll be discomfort and risk and real dedication required of you. The circles of right relationship that we've been discussing, we can't, we can't create them in an afternoon. The investment goes, goes much broader than that. Peace is an endurance sport. We can't do it unless we are drawing from the well of Christ in us. If we are making peace from some deep godly instinct within us, but not abiding in Christ through it, we will eventually run dry. We'll take the easy way out. We will build walls. We'll avert our gaze. We will walk away from hard relationships. We'll close ourselves off. We might bring worldly peace, but not the peace of Christ, not the peace of the upside down kingdom. To bring Christ's peace, we need help. In the Gospel of John, Jesus promises to give us his peace and not as the world gives it. I have a suspicion that for most of us, becoming a peacemaker, claiming that identity fully, is going to look like prayer. Active prayer that engages your deepest, truest self. Prayer that shapes you. Prayer through which you step into the kingdom of God here and now. That vision, that foretaste of the kingdom of God is what nourishes us on the difficult journey ahead. As you leave this morning, as you begin the rest of your week, think about the relationships that you have, individual relationships or relationships among groups in our world, and about how you can bring the peace of Christ to those relationships. And when being a peacemaker gets hard, and it will get hard. We can be revitalized, nourished by the sight of the kingdom of God through Christ's words on the mountain that day and through the peace that he gives us now. We can see the kingdom of God upside down, underwater, alien to our very natures. And we know in our hearts, it is where we belong. Amen. And as we are reflecting on the peace of Christ that we receive so abundantly, we express some of that peace, we let it overflow in our gifts to the work of this church in our community. Will the ushers please come forward for this morning's offering?